Welcome to the Resist Bob podcast, hosted by me, Melanie Dion. Join me this week and every week as I chat with the advocates and activists in your neighborhood at the intersection where policy meets people. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back to the Resist Bob podcast. I am your host, Melanie Dion. Glad to be here with you again this week. Last summer, I had the privilege of hosting a panel at the Bowel and Flow Beer Festival on behalf of ResistBot, and we talked about culture as resistance. And the panel consisted of some amazing artists and creatives who had used their craft to push back against injustice, to push back, push back against marginalization, because at the heart and soul of every movement lies the spirit of creativity. And it's usually the voices of creatives that push those, those movements, those causes into the collective consciousness. So we cannot discount the contributions of those who don't necessarily have the traditional organizer skill set. Sometimes you see something and you work with the tools and the talents that you have. And that is what this week's guest does. Personal friend of mine, we actually work together on some more lighthearted podcasts, but he also takes on topics such as menstruation on his podcast, Period Peace, where he removes the stigma and shame about conversations around menstruation. We also have a podcast together that we do, The Bad Advice Show, as well as that other thing where we talk about, among other things, mental health. And he also has one of my favorite live shows, Drunk Black History, where he pushes back against anything that stands in the way of discussing race in this country critically. Please welcome my friend, Gordon Bakerbone. Hi, Gordon. Hey, how's it going? That's a long, long list, but I'm happy <laughs> to be able to do all that. You do a lot of stuff. I feel like you're town crier right now. I'm like, my friend is accomplished. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start. I always like to talk to organizers and begin at the beginning, right? Yes. So you're a funny guy. Uh-huh. And yeah. you use your comedy for social commentary. Can yes. you talk a bit about what moved you from going to just being funny to using your voice in that way? Um, I guess time and maturity. Uh, when I first started comedy, I just thought it was all just jokes about myself and family. But then more and more, I found myself commenting about the society around me and taking a lot of deep observations in the world around me and speaking on that. And I believe it uh, gave me a better viewpoint and made me a better comedian from it. So when we talk about that, okay, we've We've gone from the the social commentary part of it, and then you took it a bit further with Drunk Black History. Can you talk about how you've turned this social event, this night out into an education? It's basically uh, Mary Poppins' spoonful of sugar theory. You realize that critical race theory, CRT, as some states call it, and some politicians may cower from. Uh, is a hot button issue that they think is a terrible thing. But you mix it with a couple of drinks and it turns into a fun event where people are able to talk and learn from a sensitive subject. 
I, I think that's a, a thing that a lot of people in politics and, and many fields shy away from trying to make something lighthearted and bring levity to a taboo topic. And you cover a broad spectrum of topics. You've taken on plantation weddings <laughs> and haunted plantations, right? You've also discussed queer ballroom culture. Mm-hmm. When you look at that broad landscape, because your your audience is very diverse. So what is it like when you are talking to non-Black people and realize that they messed around and learned something? Is there a backlash? What is the response like? It, it is a it's a weird response because the, the sole goal of Drunk Black History was to educate people about historical Black figures in American culture and worldwide that schools in America won't normally teach you about. Because every February we get the same curriculum. We learn about Dr. King, Muhammad Ali, maybe Malcolm X if your school is really spicy. But then we just move on from there. This is solely to get away from that. And like once you get away from that, a lot of people have a little bit of confusion and denial, I think is the best word. They're just like, well, I don't want to be part of the problem. And I didn't know any of this. And it's not as scary as CRT or critical race theory is not as scary as people make it out to be. It's actually just history. It's a confusing time for them. Because when you look at that, like, I mean, obviously nobody wants to be the bad guy. And there's a resistance to things like CRT because then you have to discuss that, you know, America is a cake and the bad guys baked it. So (laughs) chances are, you know, these things are beyond your control, but you still benefit from them. And having those conversations are important. I think a lot of people have a problem with when they realize how the history that they're learning, how they benefited from that history how certain things came into play. Because I've, I've had people come and witness the uh, Black National Anthem and they go, I've never heard of that before. How, why haven't I heard of this? And I was like, oh, it's because you don't go to school with a lot of uh, minorities. And if you did, for some reason, they felt it uh, felt a reason not to share that with you. And I wonder why. So they have to question themselves and the community that they were reared in. It's super important work and something that I really appreciate. So this week, we are going to talk about the history of the future, and that is current events, Uh, because there are a lot of things coming at us from varying spaces. It's not that it's it's impossible to focus on one thing. It literally feels like a hydra head. So this week, we're going to talk about a few things that are happening currently that can get folks engaged, where we need your voices, we need your help. I want to start with some of the um, ongoing topics that if you've listened to The Morning Mug, if you've listened to earlier episodes, we've talked about these, but these petitions are really important. Of course, there is the fight for medication abortion. So we have a petition for that. I'm leading out right now with the petition. We know what has what has happened. Uh, we have our eye on Texas to see what happens next with Mifepristone. And there's also a petition. President Biden, we need you to fight for medication abortion. And the call sign is PWRWDG. Second up, also bodily autonomy. These are things that, again, are going to be covered in the history books because this is a, a huge cultural shift. The way trans people are being treated currently 
we want to make sure that we're on the right side of history on this. And that's to make sure that trans folks have the same protections that everyone has. So that petition, stop the attack on trans people and pass the Equality Act now. The call sign for that is PTFEXR. We not too long ago had an episode, our earlier episode with Aaron Reed of the Aaron in the Morning newsletter. Highly recommend keeping up to date with her newsletter. She has her finger on the pulse of all things anti-trans legislation. And her newsletter is erinintheMorn.substack.com. So Gordon, I also want to talk about one of your besties, your face. Okay. <laughs> You've got one of your favorite people in the news. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Oh, our forgotten bad uncle. <laughs> doing Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas things. So he was recently the subject of a ProPublica investigative news article talking about these lavish gifts he's been collecting from or receiving over the years from Harlan Crow, who apparently collects fascist memorabilia. <laughs> when we talk about ethics in the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas kind of spoke on his own ethics and it was basically... I didn't know I couldn't do that. And even if I couldn't, yes, I could. Yeah. It it brings up that popular question, who governs the ones that govern us? And when we look at ethics in the Supreme Court, there is not a normal protocol for this type of thing. You know, there's the, the, the ethics that some other judges have. They do not have that. Yeah. Yeah, why would they? Uh, why would they have a similar ethics to everyone? Why? Why would that be conducive with their lifetime appointments? Yes. <laughs> why would we need ethics for that? Yes. And so, right now, what t- Congress is doing is calling for Chief Justice Roberts to investigate him. But people are also discussing impeachment. Yeah. Speaking of like drunk black history and certain historical figures only being told, Clarence Thomas. If you look at his line of work. They make him just sound like a decorated individual, which he is, but it comes with a little bit of a troubled past. Yeah, a lot of shadiness. And the wild thing is that even if you know kind of the the surface background yeah. on him, it's still pretty terrible. Yeah. It's still pretty terrible. And a deep dive is worse. And while we have older petitions that are seeking out ethics requirements, for example, we do have a, a petition from a few months ago Passed H.R. 767, the Supreme Court Ethics Recusal and Transparency Act. That has a call sign of PKPAQH. It doesn't necessarily directly address, obviously it doesn't directly address Clarence Thomas, but this is something that we need for the Supreme Court across the board. Like there needs to be oversight. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, we're looking at a lot of issues of government overreach. For example, like when we see it, we see it in the judiciary, right? We definitely see it in the judiciary because that's the ultimate goal is to make something that someone feels should be a law, a law. There's no more ultimate power into saying someone is legally prohibited from doing something. And we look, we see it so many times. I mean, that was the important thing when we saw Trump, you know, appointing judges like hotcakes. There was a reason for that. The judge who has Miffa Pristone in jeopardy, that's a Trump appointee. And I don't know if you read the opinion, but it's terrifying. And that's yeah. something that, you know, we we have to address, especially when we're looking at these lifetime appointments, because he is also a federal judge appointed until the good Lord says amen. And that should concern all of us. 
is that the only job that's a lifetime appointment? Like, I can't think of anything else that you get to <laughs> have a heavily weighed position on for a lifetime. I think when it comes down to government, judges are the few. Okay. I feel like everyone else is subject to a little more, but that's us. That's us uh, struggling in public, sometimes learning in public. In our government, most appointments are not lifetime appointments. Most most positions you're elected in and you either have to continue to run or you have term limits. Yeah. Or slash and or you have term limits. Oh, my God. We need more term limits, in my opinion. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Oh, my 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 personal opinion is definitely that nothing should be a lifetime appointment. That's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Just getting back to Clarence Thomas, like things like his wife running around on January the 6th. Recusing himself. Yeah. It's not just one thing. This is a this is a pattern. And the thing about it is if there's a pattern and he's comfortable enough to operate with this fairly openly. We have to look at the court as a whole and see if this is a cultural issue, which is why we need ethics requirements for the Supreme Court. Full stop. Full stop. Other people overreaching. <laughs> the legislature. Everybody. Everybody is just putting a little bit too much dip on their chip. Right now, a lot of our eyes are on Tennessee. Of course, after the tragic school shooting, students have had enough. Parents have had enough. People with common sense have had enough and they protested in Congress, as is the custom in this country. Yeah. What's uh, happening in Tennessee, it, I, I want to say it's bittersweet because honestly, seeing that so many children have to come to the aid of, of this reform is, is startling, but it's also refreshing at the same time. And the part that angers me is these young people have to speak up because the adults are not being adults. Exactly. We're looking at an unprecedented youthful voting block, and it's basically because they do not feel comfortable trusting the adults. Yeah. I mean, would you trust the adults at this point? When the adults aren't being adults, it makes it very, it makes it very difficult. When we say out loud that we're okay with sacrificing the lives of our children for the right to have these dangerous guns that are typically unnecessary. The reasons that one would need that type of gun at all <laughs> is very narrow. They're very narrow. And the fact is, even if you look past a ban, these people don't want any regulations. They're against background checks, which is something that could have helped when we just had a recent a recent shooting. We've had a lot of shootings where we can look at just the fact that simple background checks would help. We've had shootings in issues of intimate partner violence where background checks would have helped. And it's the basic things that would save lives. They do not want to budge on. And it clogs up the conversation to the point that they expelled two members of the Tennessee House for joining a peaceful protest. Something yeah. that protests the foundation of America. <laughs> America was founded on protests. And there were three House members who participated, Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, and Gloria Johnson. The two Justins are Black, and Gloria Johnson is an older, white, retired school teacher. And what do you know, the only ones who were actually expelled were the young Black men. They're also young congressmen. This is what we're looking at. It's not even a matter of the quiet part being said loud. They're not quietly saying, 
what they want with guns. They're not quietly saying that there's a racial bias. Oh, I just find it funny that I'm saying that facetiously. I find it funny that they said that it's not a racial issue. And it clearly that race didn't even play a part. But when you look at it from any angle and you see who was suspended and who wasn't suspended from protesting, you clearly see that that was a blatant lie. And Tennessee's reputation when it comes to any sort of equity and equality is raggedy. Because while this, the expel congressmen are on the national stage right now, and right now, uh, Justin Jones has already been reinstated. Shelby County is going to be voting on Wednesday, April, yes, Wednesday, April 12th, uh, to on whether or not they will be reinstating Justin Pearson. We're looking at that. But then there's an, an entirely different scenario running behind the scenes in Tennessee where they are exploiting Black residents in the towns near Blue Oval City, which is a development, uh, Ford Motor Company development. Yeah. Um, so last year, for those of us, for, for our longtime listeners, we talked about what happened in Mason last year. Tennessee Comptroller Jason Mumford basically took over the city from Black leadership, citing corruption not citing the fact that the corruption, the the newer black leadership was replacing corrupt white leadership. However, the conversation has been, the belief has been this is related to this predominantly black town being in close proximity to this development that is going to be a huge, huge thing for that area as far as jobs, opportunity, business development. Now we're looking at black farmers. Yes. Being hosed. Yes. And hosed is a very polite way of saying what's being uh, done to these small business owners and uh, just agricultural (laughs) necessities. Well, right now what's happening to these farmers is they are assuming portions of their land. So they're taking portions of certain farmland from these farmers. There's one uh, gentleman who has 14 acres. They are demanding 10 for an absurdly low cost. Usually we're, we're looking at usually $10,000 per acre. <laughs> I think they said right now the states offer $37.50 an acre. Yeah, absurdly low is, a, again, a polite way of putting it. And just to go back to the critical race theory and drunk black history, if you look at how black farmers have been treated in this country throughout history, it's never been a fair shape. It, is it manifest destiny or when, when they were given out farmlands or land going west and how uh, <laughs> in proportion it was given out to white farmers as opposed to black farmers? It's been a serious issue in this country for, for years, decades, and nothing seems to have changed besides the administration's. The farther we get from Black agricultural workers being forced to work for free, the more the number of Black farmers drop. So we are, you know, in the double digits when it comes to population, but about 1%, maybe 1.4% current farmers in this country are Black. And the number continues to decline. It's it's insane to, to, to hear that and to know what I know about like the history of black farmers and that hidden Valley, the rain sauce that America loves mm-hmm. and on was invented 
by a black farmer. And to think, maybe if we gave more black farmers land and opportunities like that, who knows the type of condiments that we would have? Not only would we have ranch, we would have other things too. But, you know. <laughs> and the truth of the matter, oh my God, you being robbed of mustard. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is it's been these the systematic function of racism, of capitalism to keep certain folks on the top and to keep the bottom on the bottom. And that always, always, it always finds a way to be racist. Yes. I don't know if it finds a way or it's inherently. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. It's the like, I mean, this is the cake that racism baked, right? Whenever we talk about this experiment, this American experiment, racism is sewn in the fabric. It's baked in the cake, planted in the soil, like whatever allegory, whatever uh, simile, metaphor you want to use. Racism is right there. Yeah. Just ready to pop out. And there, so it does, you know, going back to your point of injecting these conversations, there's a purpose of keeping it as a hidden conversation. And there is a need to continue to push back on that. Yeah. I just wish more uh, Black farmers or people were aware of the issue of what's going on with the agriculture uh, industry in this country, because it's a it's a pivotal part of our economy and a way for what we love to to brag about small business owners having an opportunity. And here we are, our government forcefully forcing small business owners to sell for below its value. It's very necessary for us to not only have more agricultural workers, but to have agricultural workers who are not white. The percentage of agricultural workers should represent the percentage of people that live in this country. Yes. Opportunity should reflect population. So when we have conversations, there are so many conversations and so many bills that we want furthered for agriculture. We also have to look at those bills and make sure that we are pushing for equity, particularly when we're talking about people who for years sustained the agricultural, the agriculture in this nation for free. This is not a giving. This is something that is quite frankly an entitlement. You should be compensated for what you work for. You should see the value of your hard work. And that includes those families who for centuries were exploited and continue to be exploited. Their descendants continue to be exploited. And even today, being exploited. So, yeah, I'm happy that there's uh, places that people can voice the issues of, with things like this, where we can discuss what's happening in Tennessee and what's happening with farmers. Because I feel like not enough people uh, know or have access to the information. And as we move on down the line in the third branch of overreach, <laughs> the executive branch, one of the huge ways that people have mobilized, have organized, have spread messages, have raised awareness is social media and nothing has been doing it like TikTok. TikTok is everywhere. Your grandma is on TikTok. Your little, you know, little toddlers on TikTok. This has been something that has really been not only a means of people being silly, people sharing, you know, slice of life, everyday slice of life videos, but a way, a, a very intense organizing and mobilization tool, particularly among marginalized people. And right now we are looking at the Restrict Act. We are yes. staring down the barrel. Have you have you read that scary thing? 
I have not read the entire Restrict Act, but I have learned more and more about it through, ironically, through TikTok. <laughs> this what's going to happen with the Restrict Act? It would give the executive branch. It really heightens the ability for executive overreach to make these decisions that when you have a conversation and call it a TikTok ban, you make it sound reductive, you make it sound immature and people are more like, oh, I don't like TikTok anyway. But this yes. is not something that is going, it is not just a TikTok ban. I, we, I'm going to share the entire act in the, all the entire language of the act in the show notes. I highly recommend everybody read it or read as much of it as possible or if it makes you go cross-eyed, I highly recommend that you read the cliff notes on it because these are those free speech rights that we talk about. They jeopardize those. There yes. is a reason <laughs> that information is basically gold, especially when we talk about you know matters of rights, political matters, when we talk about social justice. Whoever has the information, whoever makes the most compelling argument gets it and truth gets fuzzy. Yeah, it, it's amazing that they questioned the owner of TikTok for five hours, five and a half hours, am I correct? It was about five and a half hours and it was painful. It was painful because there were people, it was so out of touch. There were yeah. questions like, does TikTok access your Wi-Fi network? Questions that indicated that the people who were asking the questions had not done their homework. Have not done their homework. It, it, it resembled <laughs> explaining to someone that's elderly in your family how to work the cable network or how to work the remote. Oh my goodness. Once upon a time in another life, I was a customer service representative for a bank in the early stages of online banking. Yes. And trying to convince seniors, A, that this is something that you can slash should use and walking them through it was less painful than that hearing. And I did that for about eight hours a day for two years. (laughs) We have to make Space for the realization that some of this is just meant to cloud the cloud the conversation. Yeah. And run around in circles. But from your standpoint, as a creative, as someone who uses your voice, can you can you speak a bit to how social media, things like TikTok, especially like we're just coming out of a pandemic and just like social media, just like TikTok was a great tool for misinformation. It was a great tool for information. But a lot of creatives latched onto that. Can you talk about the impact that that has for not only comedians, but also comedians that may not necessarily be on the traditional track, comedians who may be disabled, things like that? Can you talk a little bit about how TikTok during that time was beneficial for you? It gave us a new outlet for expanding our content, our art, our work, and a TikTok ban will limit not only our voice, not only our content, our art, and many other things, a way that we can provide for ourselves and to expand our stages and voices. That's something that is terrifying, that the same senators and politicians that harp the necessity for free speech and the right that every American has for the First Amendment is going to be kind of making a ban on an app, which is an app that uh, impedes on a First Amendment right that they fight so hard for. And it won't just affect that app. Like when we look at it, this is going to be, this is something that will shape how we engage social media. This is something that is going to shape how we 
get information that we're told we can trust. And there's a reason, (laughs) there is a reason that we have three branches of government and checks and balances. There is a reason that we have free speech. There is a reason that there are certain tenets of media that are protected. And when you almost unilaterally put what is good and what's not good in the hands of one branch of the government on an uneven scale, that is incredibly dangerous. And it also serves to further minimize, minimize marginalized voices. Mm. The playing field is becoming increasingly uneven. Whoever has the goal dictates the conversation on social media now. Yes. And so having to contend with that and contend with messaging being throttled or or, or contend with messages being just completely erased. The dog and pony show on, you know, what they're doing in China is literally just that. It's literally just a dog and pony show because you're still putting this information in the hands of the government and taking it outside of the hands of folks, of, of regular people, of, of yeah. citizens. Yeah, it, it's the same thing that I've seen America criticize other countries for doing, for limiting their citizens' voice. And now here we are seemingly attempting to do the same thing. I mean, when we look at it between this and and book bans and not being able to just flat out teach certain subjects, it's it's very similar, like on a on a larger scale, it's very similar to that that same trick the GOP pulls all the time, right? They're pointing yep. their finger at what this person is going to do. In the meantime, they're using the other hand to do that exact thing. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to support, and I know Gordon is going to want to support this petition. I got oh. one. I, I got you here because this one is for you. We have a petition, vote no on Data Act and Restrict Act. P-U-E-R-D-B. You just have to... Text that call sign to 50409 and make sure that you support the continuation of free speech. It's kind of all we got. Yeah. And I commend you guys on being able to have a platform that shows people a way that they can do something. Because I know the, the question is always, what can I do? How can I help and not get in the way or just do the the at least the minimal to try mm-hmm. to help. And you guys provide a platform that actually provides that for people, which is amazing. And makes it accessible. And sometimes people, I think, get caught up in, if I can't do a big act, I it's, it's just as well that I don't do anything. And that's not how this works. It isn't a zero-sum game. It takes all of it. It takes all of us. When we think about supporting trans people, when we think about supporting Black farmers, we're talking about very small percentages of the population. If they're the only ones raising their voice, if they're the only ones pushing back on Congress, it's very easy to get ignored. And that's why we have to step up collaboratively with these communities and make sure that the work of equity goes across the board for all of us. Gordon, Gordon Mm -hmm. Bakerbone. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been more fun than I anticipated and more educational than, well, I knew it was going to be this way, but I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, you know, we always do a little bit. We talk a little bit. We learn a little bit. And I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you and Brandon are doing with Drunk Black History. Can you tell the folks where they can find you and how they can support your work? Well, you can find me at Baker Bone on Instagram and Twitter. 
bakerbone.com. And for those that's interested in learning critical race theory in a fun way, I highly recommend Drunk Black History. DrunkBlackHistory.com. You can see our upcoming shows. Our next one is June 18th, celebrating Juneteenth. So we'll be in Brooklyn, New York at the Bell House. And we're doing a special brunch show where we're doing talking about critical race theory, black history, and doing it while drinking mimosas, the most elegant way to do it. I think that's how I always want to talk about black history now. Maybe with a parasol. I think that I think that's the best way to do it. I want to thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank all of you for listening. And if you would like to support Resist By, and I know you do, there are a couple of ways you can do it. Of course, you can text donate to 50409 and become a monthly member. This is how everyone is able to use the bot. Many, many hands help make it light for everyone. You can also subscribe to this podcast. Give us a five-star review and share with your folks. I appreciate you so much for listening and I'm going to catch you next time. Take care. The ResistBot Podcast is a production of ResistBot Action Fund, a social welfare nonprofit organization. ResistBot is funded by monthly donors like you. Support ResistBot by texting DONATE to 50409. You can learn more and see a complete guide to using the service, a real-time list of trending petitions, learn how to organize your own pressure campaigns, or launch your own voter pledge drives at www.resist.bot. Thanks so much for joining, and we'll see you next week.